What is Thorchain? I don't know, but I'm here to find out. And to help me learn about what Thorchain is, I've brought on two people with me on the show today. First, Chad Barraford, one of the core developers of the Thorchain project, as well as Eric Voorhees, Bitcoin OG, who discovered Thorchain to be the spiritual protocolized descendant of his old centralized shapeshift exchange. If you are looking to understand what Thorchain is, how it works, why the Rune token captures value, and how Thorchain can change the crypto landscape, then this episode is for you. Bankless Nation, I do not own any Rune myself, and Bankless as a company holds no position in this particular project. We are simply here to just learn and explore and to give projects like Thorchain that are in pursuit of helping build a bankless future a voice to the rest of crypto to showcase what they are building and why they are building it. So time to put your learning hat on. Let's get into the conversation with Chad and Eric. But first, a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible, especially Kraken, our preferred centralized exchange for crypto in 2023 and 2024. If you have any fiat boomer bucks left, Kraken is the exchange for you to turn your fiat bucks into crypto assets. That's the place where I do it. That's the place where you should do it too. If you do not have an account with Kraken, consider clicking the link in the show notes to getting started with Kraken today. Kraken knows crypto. Kraken's been in the crypto game for over a decade, and as one of the largest and most trusted exchanges in the industry, Kraken is on the journey with all of us to see what crypto can be. Human history is a story of progress. It's part of us, hardwired. We're designed to seek change everywhere, to improve, to strive. And if anything can be improved, why not finance? Crypto is a financial system designed with the modern world in mind. Instant, permissionless, and 24-7. It's not perfect, and nothing ever will be perfect. But crypto is a world-changing technology at a time when the world needs it the most. That's the Kraken mission, to accelerate the global adoption of cryptocurrency so that you and the rest of the world can achieve financial freedom and inclusion. Head on over to kraken.com bankless to see what crypto can be. Not investment advice, crypto trading involves risk of loss. Cryptocurrency services are provided to U.S. and U.S. territory customers by Payward Ventures, Inc., PVI, doing business as Kraken. MetaMask Portfolio is your one-stop shop to navigate the world of DeFi. And now, bridging seamlessly across networks doesn't have to be so daunting anymore. With competitive rates and convenient routes, MetaMask Portfolio's bridge feature lets you easily move your tokens from chain to chain using popular Layer 1 and Layer 2 networks. And all you have to do is select the network you want to bridge from and where you want your tokens to go. From there, MetaMask vets and curates the different bridging platforms to find the most decentralized, accessible, and reliable bridges for you. To tap into the hottest opportunities in crypto, you need to be able to plug into a variety of networks, and nobody makes that easier than MetaMask Portfolio. Instead of searching endlessly through the world of bridge options, click the bridge button on your MetaMask extension or head over to metamask.io slash portfolio to get started. Arbitrum is the leading Ethereum scaling solution that is home to hundreds of decentralized applications. Arbitrum's technology allows you to interact with Ethereum at scale with low fees and faster transactions. Arbitrum has the leading DeFi ecosystem, strong infrastructure options, flourishing NFTs, and is quickly becoming the Web3 gaming hub. Explore the ecosystem at portal.arbitrum.io. Are you looking to permissionlessly launch your own Arbitrum Orbit chain? Arbitrum Orbit allows anyone to utilize Arbitrum's secure scaling technology to build your own Orbit Orbit chain, giving you access to interoperable, customizable permissions with dedicated throughput. Whether you're a developer, an enterprise, or a user, Arbitrum Orbit lets you take your project to new heights. All of these technologies leverage the security and decentralization of Ethereum. Experience Web3 development the way it was always meant to be. Secure, fast, cheap, and friction-free. Visit Arbitrum.io and get your journey started in one of the largest Ethereum communities. Bankless Nation, I would love to introduce you to Chad Barraford, a serial entrepreneur and Web2 builder starting in 2010 until he got bitten by the blockchain bug in 2017. While participating in a Cosmos hackathon in 2019, 
Chris wrote some of the first lines of code that were committed to the ThorChain project and has been the largest code contributor ever since. Chad, welcome to Bankless. Uh, thank you for having me. I've been, I've been dying to come on for quite a, quite a long time. I even showered yeah, today. The, that's, how, that's how I'm excited I, I took a shower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the, the ThorChain community are, are right alongside you with you. I'm sure they're very, very excited to, to have this episode. In addition to Chad, we also have Eric Voorhees, the crypto OG. You know him. He needs no introduction other than the fact that I suspect Eric's interest in ThorChain runs parallel to his creation of Shapeshift, a decentralized exchange that has changed many shapes over the years, both as innovations in crypto has offered new solutions and also regulatory pressures has changed what's allowable in the crypto sphere. Eric, welcome back to Bankless. What's up, David? Good to see you, man. Likewise, likewise. All right, Chad, I'll throw this one back to you. What is ThorChain? Yeah, so ThorChain uh, is a DEX. It's an AMM similar to Uniswap, which I'm sure a lot of your your, your watchers, listeners are, are aware of that. And what makes ThorChain so unique and so different uh, is that it's able to do a cross-chain swapping with layer one assets. Uh, it doesn't do wrapped assets. It doesn't do anything like fake Bitcoin or whatever, but it can transact between Bitcoin to Ethereum, to AVAX, to BNB, to Doge, to Litecoin, to a bunch of different chains all at once. And uh, that is a, a transformative uh, and not much needed technology in our, in our space. When you say DEX, Chad, typically my, my brain and many others are just kind of going to go to a smart contract on Ethereum, something yep. like Uniswap, something like SushiSwap, but that's not exactly what ThorChain is. Can you talk about the differences that ThorChain is bringing to the table in the pursuit of the goal, which is to be a decentralized exchange? Right. So you can't actually build a cross-chain DEX uh, in the same context uh, with a smart contract. You need, to, you need to have your own validator set so that they can use what's called threshold signatures to control a wallet amongst over 100, 105, I think the number is, of validators. So we had to, we had to build it outside of Ethereum in order for this to actually function and work. And so uh, everything is done by a Cosmos app, a Cosmos chain. It's, it's a Cosmos chain itself with 105 validators right now. And so those all operate together to, to kind of custody those funds while you're trading or swapping or LPing or any of those kind of things. Okay, so ThorChain is a, the, the goal is uh, ThorChain is to be a DEX, but specifically a cross-chain DEX. So there's many different blockchains out there, and ThorChain wants to make them a little bit more interoperable, a little bit more right. integratable with each other, like um, a middleware layer between many, many blockchains to help them be able to swap assets with each other, correct? Right. And one of the key components, the key focuses, we want to make sure this thing could operate with anything. It could be UTXOs, could be EVMs. It could be a crypto note like Monero. It could be a, a polka dot. It could be Cosmos. It could be arbitrarily any chain that you could probably think of. ThorChain could probably support it. Okay, we'll get into the technical details about how that works because I would imagine that is a pretty large engineering lift, getting blockchains <laughs> to talk yes. to each other. The answer is, is no... yes to that question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. Before we get into the tech details though, Eric, um, maybe talk a little bit about your perspective and your journey discovering ThorChain and, and why it resonates with you so much. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so when we started Shapeshift back in 2014, um, it was notable because it was non-custodial and it was a way to trade one asset for another. So this was like in the wake of the Mt. Gox collapse. And basically um, I wanted to create an exchange that couldn't steal people's money because it didn't hold people's money. So um, an asset would come in and we'd send an asset back out. And so while it was non-custodial, uh, we were still the intermediary. So a user's asset would come to us as a centralized company, and we would send an asset back to that user right away. Um, and 
That worked for a while. Uh, however, by the time you know the big bubble in 2017, 2018 happened, the regulatory pressure on Shapeshift became, let's just say, high. And um, we made the horrible, difficult decision to implement KYC on, on Shapeshift and basically operate like a financial institution. And what pulled us into that requirement was being an intermediary. So um, this was this was very tragic for us, and I didn't really know what to do, and I kind of floundered around for a couple of years under that model. Um, and then I saw you know Uniswap emerge, and Uniswap didn't have KYC; it had like that similar easy magic of trading one asset for another that Shapeshift had years before. Um, and Uniswap, you know, was a, a company based in Brooklyn, and I was like, how the hell are they doing this without getting into all the legal mess that that we have? Um, and I end up, sorry, there's a phone. I end up learning that um, that uh, it's because as a smart contract, they are not an intermediary, so they're not um, they're not receiving funds of anyone. And I start learning about smart contracts more in depth, and um, I was like, man, this is this is great. I wish Shapeshift could do this, but there's a big problem, which is that like Uniswap doesn't work on any chain other than ETH. So while you have all the tokens there, that's cool, but we can't, um, you can't use something that's like, doesn't include Bitcoin. So fast forward like a couple years and um, I learned about ThorChain and I learned that like it's a DEX like Uniswap, but it actually supports not only Bitcoin, but other major chains. And uh, I realized we could actually just swap out the entire backend of Shapeshift for the infrastructure that ThorChain had built. And if we did that, we wouldn't be an intermediary anymore and we could remove KYC once again. And um, that was a wonderful day. So we and en- we ended up doing that. And Thorchain remains, you know, the only DEX in the world that can trade between Bitcoin and ETH native layer one at scale. Um, so very very glad you guys are talking about it. Interestingly enough, Thorchain and Uniswap both started in 2019. Uh, Uniswap mm-hmm. mainnet uh, v1 hit Ethereum, I think in November of 2019, which is. Uh, the year that, that Chad here um, apparently started coding up Thorchain at that Cosmos hackathon. Chad, was that the actual inception of Thorchain? Was that that hackathon? Talk to us a little bit about the genesis of the project. Yeah, so it actually started in 2018. Um, and one of the uh, other co-founders, along with other, other individuals, tried to build Thorchain in that time period. And unfortunately, it wasn't really all that practical. Cosmos hadn't really come out yet. We need to build our own blockchain. You couldn't do, just like throw it on Ethereum. So we needed something to, to build our own chain. And Cosmos wasn't quite a thing at that time. And then also we were missing like um, threshold signatures, which is a kind of like a, a, a fancier multi-sig, for lack of a better term. And that didn't really quite exist at the time either. It wasn't really in 2019 when Cosmos kind of relaunched. Uh, what's called GG18 came out in, 29, in 2019 as well. And that just opened the door for like now the technology there, the cryptography we need, the technology we need is now like all the ducks are in a row. Let's go. Let's do this thing. Talk to talk to me about the tech stack that is ThorChain. So built on Cosmos and Cosmos is meant to be an interoperability standard uh, to help facilitate some of this kind of stuff. Uh, how, do, how does ThorChain work as a technical system? Yeah, so we have our own validator set and each validator runs a full node of every blockchain. So a full node of Bitcoin, a full node of Doge, a full node of Ethereum, so forth and so on. And so each blockchain, uh, each validator will watch these blockchains and look at the addresses that the, that the network kind of owns, right, or, or, or maintains. 
and then just makes observations of that, oh, that we saw, the Thor chain network owns on respective blockchains, correct? Right. So the network holds, or right now I think it's six different uh, Bitcoin addresses, like BC one mm -hmm. addresses, and you know six different OX addresses on Ethereum and AVAX and you know so forth and so on. And so it, these nodes just kind of observe these addresses and watch for inbound activity or outbound activity, and that's reported on chain. So hey, I saw you know David sent one Bitcoin to us. And in the memo, or called an op return in, in, in Bitcoin speak, uh, says, uh, oh, I want to swap to uh, Ether, and here's my OX address, and here's what I want to execute. And then all the nodes just you know, observe this transaction on the Bitcoin network, push that observation into the ThorChain network, and then once a two-thirds majority all agree that this Bitcoin came into the network, it executes some business logic to do the actual swap and trade of the AMM itself, and then we... Um, assign a, a transaction on the outbound to send you your, 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 your ETH on the other side. And when you do this, like the only requirement to do this is just to be able to sign a Bitcoin transaction or sign an Ethereum transaction. You don't need to have a ThorChain wallet. You don't need to own Rune. You don't need to do all these things. You can just, if you can sign a Bitcoin transaction, you can access whatever asset you want that the network can support. Mm -hmm. Now, historically, uh, Chad, me and, and Ryan at Bankless here have been, um, resistant-ish to cross-chain bridges. And this kind of feels like, like a, a cross-chain bridge because when you span multiple blockchains, you are giving up um, sovereignty of a single set of trust assumptions and now you are d having dual trust assumptions. So like taking uh, having um, a bridge that spans Ethereum and ThorChain into ThorChain and then other, into another ecosystem uh, usually, historically, with other bridges, that means that you are beholden to a new set of trust assumptions that are threat, new threat models to your asset ownership. Um, is, this, uh, is this concern present here in the ThorChain model, or how does ThorChain alleviate some of these concerns? Can I take this one, Chad? Go right ahead. Yeah, uh, I think this is one of the misnomers that confuses people a little bit. Like, um, ThorChain's not a bridge. It's an exchange. It's an AMM exchange. You don't use ThorChain to move an asset from ETH to Avalanche, for example. You trade a native asset that you had on the Ethereum network for a native asset that you want on mm. Avalanche. So the, the chains are not communicating with each other at all. You're not taking like a bridged um, you know, Avalanche version of ETH over onto Avalanche. The, these worlds stay in their own isolated islands. And ThorChain just lets you trade one for the other without an intermediary in between. Yep. Understood. Yep. Okay, so um, there, the previous threat model, that uh, the famous like wormhole hack, for example, left a lot of ETH stranded on Solana. There's like wrapped ETH on Solana. And Eric, you're saying, well, that's just not what ThorChain is up to. Right. E ThorChain will let you sell your Ether on Ethereum and purchase Solana on Solana and the assets stay in their respective ecosystems. Yep. This kind of seems like this, the spiritual uh, descendant of Shapeshift, where like there actually is, uh, it is the protocol version of what right. you did in looks like you were just kind of manually pushing things around. ThorChain right. is doing it as a protocol. Right. Yep. Yeah, I think and the, be, and, and sorry, because, because the protocol is doing that instead of a business, mm -hmm. um, the protocol does not comply with regulations. It is an amorphous machine that just operates um, and uh, it has no specific jurisdiction. So that's mm -hmm. where the magic comes from. I agree with Eric that I wouldn't consider ThorChain to be a bridge, just like you wouldn't call it, call 
Coinbase a bridge. You would call it an exchange, mm-hmm. right? And bridges are all highly problematic in my opinion because they're 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 wrapped assets that you're generally doing. And as long as you hold that wrapped asset, you are a prolonged exposure to that 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 bridge risk. Whereas in Thorchain, you swap your Bitcoin to ETH or whatever you're doing. As soon as it swaps over, the risk is gone, right? For for you mm-hmm. as a, as a as a trader or a swapper. And a lot of the times, those bridges are designed in a way where you they actually take on the risk of a de- of the protocol risk of a of a smart contract. And they also take on the centralized risk of the people who operate that system, because oftentimes it's just like a trusted entities that you that they, that they like, a handful of individuals who have access to the keys. And because of that, we've seen 200, $300 million hacks where they uh, exploited some smart contract risk, some sort of bug in the code in one case, or another case where they just emailed one of the devs, a, a malicious PDF that he opened, and then it exposed all these private keys, and then all the... All the funds were lost. And so you're concatenating or adding the risk of CFI and DeFi into a single system, which to me is highly risky, which is why we saw so many bridges get absolutely wrecked in the last year, whereas Thorchain just has that kind of protocol risk, like the same as what Uniswap has. Certainly, certainly. Okay, so yeah, the the bridge risk doesn't exist because it's not a bridge. Um, but yet there is a security model for Thorchain. Maybe you can kind of get into like, how does the Thorchain system, how does that enforce honesty? How does that enforce uh, the protocol to work as intended? Yes. So one of the core concepts of Thorchain is this concept of economic security, right? So if I wanted to give you, uh, say I want you to be secure some assets, right? And, and, and so in order to give that privilege, you, you know, lock up $100, Right. And and some account or some way of doing so. And then I give you, all right, cool. I'm going to give you a thousand dollars of my money right now. Right now. Is that very secure? Well, no, you gave up a hundred bucks. Now you got a thousand in your pocket. You're going to go ahead and run off and and have a great day. Right. You just made a a bunch of money. And so that's what we call a lack of economic security. And almost every cross chain system, with the exception of Thorchain, has that risk where you're assuming that the value that is securing the assets is going to be worth more than the assets that you're securing. And Thorchain's specific design, in all cases and scenarios, it doesn't matter if Rune's price is pumping or Rune's price is diving or Bitcoin's price is pumping or Bitcoin's price is dumping. In all cases and scenarios, it's economically always ensures that the value of the assets that the network is securing is always worth more than the validators put up at risk of their own money. So even if you were to acquire and you had to have to civil attack the network and have two thirds consensus of all the nodes, the amount of money you'd have to spend to get there would be so much more money than the Bitcoin and the ETH and the Doge and the Litecoin and, and the BNB, all those assets combined. It's, you would always lose money in that scenario. And so what is the incentive to stake? I, I'm going to go ahead and guess that the Thorchain asset, the, the native asset of Thorchain is the thing that you stake. Right. What is the incentive to stake? Like why are, why are stakers staking in the first place? Like what do they get? Yeah. So the network has uh, what I would consider real yield, right? So people are trading, swapping, they're adding Bitcoin, they're taking out ETH and they're paying fees into these pools along the way. And so the network will split this income, right? There's two sources of income. One is the block rewards of the system and two is like the trading volume. And it's about, uh, last time I looked, it was about 50-50. Half the rewards are from block rewards, half the rewards are from fees collecting from, from traders and swappers. And the network will take this income and decide, I'm going to give some percentage it to the LPs who are providing liquidity and some percentage it to the validators, the nodes who are committing blocks, mm-hmm. these kind of things. And it has a mathematical equation that it uses to balance between these two entities. If we have too much security and not enough LPs, 
the validators make less money, the LPs make more money to incentivize, hey, you can kind of leave here and join over here, right? If there's too much liquidity in the pools and not enough security, the pendulum swings to the other side, giving validators more income and LPs less income to incentivize them to either, you know, leave and for more validators to show up and become, you know, stake more room to earn more rewards. Okay, and then the issuance of the Thor asset it to, is to secure the blockchain, like all blockchains. Yeah, the Rune um, asset. The Rune asset, oh, excuse yep. me, the Rune asset. The token is called Rune. Thor chain, Rune, okay. Yep. Uh, and then what, what are the economics of that? Is it purely an inflationary asset and more people just buy it so that they can stake it to earn more fees? Or what, what's the economic system of Rune? Yeah, so it is a, it's a hard cap set of 500 million uh, tokens. It's not like an infinite okay. mint Cosmos token, which is commonly true. Um, and so you can you can stake it on the and run a validator. Every pool is comprised of two assets, which is Bitcoin and Rune, ETH and Rune, mm-hmm. USDC okay. and Rune. And so if you want to be an LP, you can provide liquidity that way and kind of earn rewards in that context as well. But everything that you do with the network, whether you're swapping, whether you're an LP, whether you're a saver, whether you're opening a loan, whether you're running a validator, all these things inherently and directly drive value into the token. And, and, and that's partly why we've seen this big, huge movement in uh, not just in, in Rune's adoption over the last couple of months, Thorchain's adoption in a couple of months, but the price has moved with it because all that additional trade volume pushes value into that Rune mm-hmm. asset. Whereas like in the Uniswap's case, the Uni token has no relationship to the, to the AMM right. at all. It's just a right. governance token, right? So mm-hmm. you could have a, a trillion dollars of trade volume on Uniswap and the token is decoupled or detached from that. Well, that's not the case with Rune. The more adoption we get, which the more kind of value is driven into the Rune asset. Yeah, I'll, I'll um, explain that slightly differently. So like assume a certain level of liquidity in the pools, like $100 million of capital in the, in the pools um, for ThorChain. Uh, and then people are finding the DEX useful, right? Like people are trading an increasing amount of ETH to Bitcoin. Um, as that volume increases on that $100 million of pooled capital, the fees going to those providers are getting higher and higher and higher. Right. So the yield from being an LP is getting higher and higher and higher. Eventually that um, that will incentivize people to put more funds into the pools. But every pool in Thorchain is asset plus rune. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to come in and put a million dollars into the these pools because the yield is so high, that's going to be five hundred thousand dollars of ETH and five hundred thousand dollars of rune. So as trading volumes increase, there, there's an ag or there's a an organic demand created there for a rune because it's always 50-50 paired with the liquidity in the pools. Mm-hmm. That's a simple way to think of it. Yep. So if I'm swapping my Ether for Bitcoin, start with Ether on Ethereum, send it over to rune, Ether gets sold for rune, and then that rune gets sold for Bitcoin inside of the ThorChain blockchain, and then correct. I find my Bitcoin out on my Bitcoin address on the other side, correct? Correct. And then call, and a, fee call, is, a fee is taken on both swaps and it, or it kind of doesn't really matter. There's just like an aggregate fee, a cost that's made yep. to make this trade happen. And then that stays inside of the Rune system to the liquidity providers. Correct. We call that a, a double swap. It happens totally in the back end. You're, you're not even aware. You're not right. really in the room with it. But we call that double swap. But because of our a newer feature we have called Streaming Swap, which just grows really highly uh, capital efficiency on these trades and swaps, you can do that trade and pay a five basis points on that trade. Even if you're doing a million dollar trade, even if you're doing a $5 million trade from Bitcoin to ETH or ETH to Bitcoin, five basis points you can get on that trade, which is absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I have two thoughts here. Um, 
the Uniswap model of putting Ether against USDC directly and not having an intermediary token, I've always thought was elegant because let's not inject an intermediary token where it doesn't need to be. If people just want Ether and Uniswap, let's not add a third token, mm-hmm. which is always why I've been um, uh, <laughs> in the, my previous wars with, with uh, um, the Bancor people. That was more or less the subject of the debate is like, why put in Bancor as an intermediary token when you, can, when you have Uniswap and you can just trade assets directly? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the counter argument here is that the Thor, the Rune asset, is what allows the Thor chain system to maintain non custodial nature. Uh, because if you wanted to trade directly Bitcoin for Ether, you would need to host those assets on the Thor chain system itself. The Thor chain would need to have state of these assets. And then we're kind of back to the bridge problem uh, that we were discussing earlier. Is, it, is this correct analysis? Uh, yeah, there's probably two two reasons for it. Um, one is we don't want to 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 uh, fraction the liquidity across 100 different pools, right? If you want mm-hmm. to get from Ethereum to Bitcoin, whatever it is, we want all that liquidity to be focused in a single pool to give you the best price execution. If you break it up into 10 or 30 different pools, that's inherently becomes problematic. That's the first reason. Mm-hmm. The second reason is that sorry, just to we, just to drive that point home, uh, Rune is. So rather than having Ether trade against Bitcoin and Ether trade against USDC and Ether trade against USDT, Ether just trades against Rune. Rune is like this um, substrate upon which all assets trade against. And so only adding one new asset doesn't add like 17 different new pools for every single permutation of other assets. Is Everything just trades against Rune. Right. Yeah, think of it like on, on Uniswap, you, um, how many pools are paired with USDC? Right, like at least a dozen big ones. Mm-hmm. Imagine if there was only one USDC pool on Uniswap. Right, it would be mm. very deep, and right. you'd get great price execution. The only way to do that in practice is to have an intermediary asset. Yep, understood. The other reason why it's really critically important for us is that I was mentioning earlier about economic security. Right, so if the value of Rune were to dive today, say it went down eighty percent, whatever it is, the security goes down by eighty percent mm. because each pool is comprised of Rune plus some other asset. The room price in the pool, obviously, is going to go down by 80% as well, which means arbitrage bots are going to you know, put Rune into the pool and take out Bitcoin to ensure that the value of the pool always is less than the value of the security behind it. This is part of a critical component. If you don't do that, then you've decoupled the security of the network and the, the value of the assets that, that you're securing, and you no longer have economic security, which to me is inherently flawed. Okay. Yeah, so... To, to state that again, then this, this is a key point that I didn't quite understand the magic of at first, but um, all the validators are securing the network and they put up exclusively Rune. It's their bonds that they put up to, to you know, swear allegiance and say that they'll be honest. Um, the value of that capital rises and falls in direct proportion to the value of Rune. Separately, you have these liquidity pools. And let's say, for example, that Rune wasn't paired with each asset, that each asset was paired with USDC or with ETH or something, you you could and would often get into situations where the value in the liquidity pools was worth more than the collateral staked by the validators, right? And as soon as that happens, there's an incentive by the validators to steal money. Mm-hmm. So, and it's not, that's not a tail risk. That would happen often in the, in the right. vagaries of the market. So when you, um, when you force half of the liquidity pools to be Rune, if Rune collapses in price, the, the value of the liquidity pools also collapses in price, 
which means that mm-hmm. there's never a point at which it makes sense for the validators to steal the money. And that that's like really the key insight that, that made this thing work. So it's a, it's a natural constraint. It's a natural cap on the non-rune supply of assets into the system. There can only be as so much assets into the rune system as there are rune, uh, the rune market cap and percentage of that staked, correct? Half, yeah. yeah. Mathematically, there can only be half of the dollar value of non-rune assets in the pools as there mm-hmm. is rune held by the validators securing it. Right. So if there's $10 million of non-rune assets in the pools, there's $20 million of rune held by the validators. And whenever those numbers get out of that exact ratio, the rewards of the system start changing such that it mm-hmm. makes sense for arbitrage to come in and get it back to that point. Interesting. So it's like a naturally balancing system with a yeah. constraint, with a, with a cap, right? We can't just flood the system with uh, right. non-rune you, non you know, assets. If, if you wanted to get a, a Bitcoin multi-billionaire just to deploy everything they had into the protocol, the protocol wouldn't even allow it. It just would say, we right. can't do that. We would lose security and too security much. is important. This is too much, right? Mm. Okay. I would imagine that a lot of the activity that is flowing through Rune is denominated in probably uh, the fat t- side of the tail of assets. Probably, I'm guessing, Bitcoin. Probably Bitcoin, actually, since it's the one that has its doesn't really have an internal DeFi system. Yeah. Uh, wh- what is the activity that is throwing flowing through the, the ThorChain system? Yeah, by far, uh, it's you know Bitcoin and Ethereum are the, the, the two largest, and that makes sense because if you just look at the, mm-hmm. the trading pairs and and C and CFI, you know, centralized exchanges matches that. It's, it matches that where people trade Bitcoin to Tether and Bitcoin to ETH, and like that's the, that's the magic, right? And and mm-hmm. it's kind of crazy that we are, you know, it took us so long to get to a point where like we can do that in a decentralized way, right? Of the most mm-hmm. important pairs in 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 crypto, and now that we've done that as a protocol, as uh, Thorchain has done, we are now seeing about two percent of the of the trade volume of Bitcoin is now happening on a Dex for the first time in history, and we're just getting started. Two percent of the total Bitcoin volume globally across all exchanges is happening spot on Torchy. Spot, spot volume, yeah. Spot volume, yeah. Yeah, spot volume. That's yeah. not. That's no no small number. No, especially it's not. when we've been trying to rip the location of price discovery away from centralized exchanges right. from a long time. Right, and a large reason why this happens because we have this out of this new thing I mentioned earlier called streaming swaps, just grows, grows incredible capital fit, capital efficiency. Where now, if you want to buy and sell Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever asset you want to do. You can do it cheaper, more pri- better mm-hmm. price execution on Thorchain than any sex or any DEX on anywhere, mm-hmm. anywhere. <laughs> it's kind of crazy just to think about, but it's actually true. And to kind of put like a pin on this, this is like a real thing that happened last weekend. Somebody traded $6 million in a single transaction from Bitcoin to WBDC. The WBDC pool is only $4 million deep. The trade was larger by fifty percent than the actual value. The, the trade was larger than the actual value of the pool itself. Mm-hmm. But because of the capital efficiency of streaming swaps, it executed just forty-five bips paid in fees. Mm-hmm. That's unheard of in the AMM world. It's like it's ridiculous in the AMM world. Like nobody would even believe me if I fucking told you. And, but I'm telling you, it happened. <laughs> and importantly, for um, the way that works is the streaming swap happens over a duration of time. Mm-hmm. So that trade happened over probably a few hours, but the end result was a trade fifty percent larger than the than the pool, happening over a few hours at like a price almost competitive with a centralized exchange. Yes, and what's crazy is because 
you can have a, a, a relatively illiquid pool, like a $4 million you know, pool for WBC and do these massive $6 million trades, the fees that you're generating is massive relative to the mm-hmm. size of the pool, right? So the yield on ThorChain, whether you're a saver, whether you're an LP or whatever, is just like through the roof like crazy because we have the trade volume of a curve or a pancake swap, but we have the TVL that is one fifth or one sixth of right. them. So there's a lot less mouse to feed. So the, the real yield we're generating right now is ridiculous, right? It's mm-hmm. like some are like, like right now the Bitcoin pool, near 100% APY in this current moment of actual real yield from actual trades actually up in the network, right? If you want to do a Bitcoin saver, which is basically no rune exposure, just Bitcoin exposure, and you just get Bitcoin yield on your Bitcoin, no IL, nothing to worry about in that regard. Even that right now is about 7 or 8% yield on that, which is absolutely ridiculous. Ethereum, I think it's like, uh, I think it was 16% yield on Ethereum, which is just crazy. Um, what, what is the latency time for a trade? And Eric alluded to it being um, also a function of size. How, how does just time of trading work? Yeah. So uh, so when you do a streaming swap, you are taking one large trade and you're breaking up into little sub trades and you're trading it over time. But how fast that is, is depending upon a number of things. For one, you can choose how fast you want it to be. You can say, Every block do a trade, or every ten blocks do a trade, or you can you can do a DC, you can uh, DCA if you want to, if you want to like dollar cost average buy into ether or something like this, you could totally do that on Thorchain over a longer period of time. But uh, you can choose that, right? But then the network also says that it has a lower barrier of five bips that you can pay on your price execution. So it depends on the depth of the pools you're trading with. The more shallow they are, the kind of the the the, the smaller each individual trade has to be to maintain that five bips fee and the more time it's going to take. So naturally, as we grow, we have about 300 million in TVL right now. And so say we get to a billion or a billion and a half or something more similar to Curve or, you know, or, or Pancake or whatever, we would have orders of magnitude improvement in terms of speed. Cello is the mobile-first, EVM-compatible, carbon-negative blockchain built for the real world. And now, something big is happening. Introducing the Cello Layer 2. It's a game-changing proposal that's going to bring Cello's rapidly growing ecosystem home to Ethereum. Vitalik has shared his excitement for the Cello Layer 2 on the Cello forum. So has Ben Jones from Optimism. But why? The Cello Layer 2 will bring huge advantages like a decentralized sequencer, off-chain data availability, and one block finality. What does all that mean? Rock-solid security, a trustless bridge to Ethereum, and more real real-world use cases for Ethereum without compromise. And real-world adoption is happening. Active addresses on Celo have grown over 500% in the last six months. With the Celo Layer 2, gas fees will stay low and you can even pay for gas using ERC-20 tokens. But Celo is a community-governed protocol. This means that Celo needs you to weigh in and make your voice heard. Join the conversation in the Celo forum. Follow at Celo.org on Twitter and visit Celo.org to shape the future of Ethereum. Introducing USDV, a better type of stablecoin. Currently, billions of dollars in stablecoin yield each year are paid to Tether, Circle, and other central issuers of major stablecoins. But what if yield could be shared with the protocols that use it? Those protocols, in turn, can decide how to reward their users. USDV shares its yield with a community of apps and developers that mint it. Every USDV is backed one-to-one by US Treasury bills which pay yield. This yield flows out to the community of USDV issuers, so your protocol or 
your app can get paid for helping end users convert other stables into USDV. This works thanks to a breakthrough technology called Color Trace from Layer Zero. Without it, it was impossible to attribute users of a token with a specific issuer, but now we can. USDV is live on Ethereum, Optimism, Arbitrum, and other chains, and it's already available on over 20 exchanges such as Curve, BitGet, Velodrome, and Stargate. Start participating in the yield from treasury-backed stablecoins at bankless.com slash USDV. Introducing GMX, the deepest on-chain futures market to trade Bitcoin, Ethereum, and leading altcoins. GMX is a permissionless, decentralized exchange that offers perpetual futures and spot trading. Lightning fast trade execution and competitive pricing with the security and self-custody of a decentralized exchange. GMX is live now with V2, bringing new optimizations to on-chain leverage trading. And even more than an improved trading experience, GMX will reward you for just participating. All GMX users can easily set up a referral link. And with $12 million of Arbitrum grants being distributed as incentives and over $150 billion in trading volume to date all settled on-chain, GMX is leading the charge in terms of opportunities for DeFi liquidity providers. The future is on-chain with your wallets, with your trades, and with your money in your own hands. Try it out now at app.gmx.io. Eric, when you put on your, uh, the, the hat that you once upon a time put on all, all the way back in like 2012, 2013, when you looked at and daydreamed about the future of crypto, I would imagine some shape of Thorchain was like kind of in that, that daydream way back when. How, how do you, uh, how do you like think that Thorchain will impact or change the crypto landscape like moving forward? Like what do you think about uh, when you look at Thorchain's role for shaping the future of crypto? Yeah, so it's important for the ecosystem for one very simple reason, which is that the largest digital asset in the world can now be traded without any intermediaries for the first time. Mm. It's horribly embarrassing that 12, 13 years into the Bitcoin project, 100% of the spot trading of that asset was going through centralized intermediaries, right? There, of course, there's a little bit of trading that happens peer-to-peer -peer at, at Starbucks, but not, not any material number. Um, and so we had this incredible, beautiful, decentralized monetary base and all of the trading of it is happening on centralized exchanges. Uh, <laughs> that was a big problem. And um, I think a lot of the Bitcoiners just accepted that, you know, like many of them haven't been willing to experiment with other chains and other tokens because they are wedded to the idea that other chains and other tokens are always worthless. And... Um, we see in the Ethereum world all this experimentation with, with DeFi, with smart contracts, and Uniswap and Bancor, like when they created that model of the AMM, that was a, an incredible breakthrough. So that now you could trade assets without any intermediary in this frictionless way, and users with spare capital can earn fees on that. That was an incredible innovation. And yet it didn't support Bitcoin, and this was like so tragic. So Thorchain now has existed and has been live for two and a half, three years. Um, it's amazing how few people still know about it, uh, especially people that want to go in and out of Bitcoin, right? Like the, the two major assets, if you want to trade them without an intermediary, there's one place to do it. Um, so that's why that's why this is so cool and so important. And it, ever since I saw it, I, I fell in love with it, you know, both as it was an echo of what Shapeshift was doing back in the day, but just like as a critical piece of infrastructure for this entire space. Mm-hmm. Chad, is there a notion of apps on Thorchain? Is there like an application layer to Thorchain or is it more narrow in that it just wants to do this one job, which is cross-chain asset swaps and do it extremely well? 
yes, it's much more narrow. So there, there's no smart contracting on top of Thorchain itself. There's no Cosm Wasm yeah. or Solidity or something of the something of the such. Uh, it does. It has expanded to other kind of concepts over over time. So we started with the AMM, which is really great. We moved to something called synthetics for highly efficient. Um, it gives like a 15x capital efficiency, which is great. We moved to what we call savers, which is like a single asset yield, right? That you would get uh, uh, deposit a single asset and get yield on that asset without IL risk or any of these kind of things. We also moved to our, our lending design, where our lending design is um, is can you deploy. Uh, Bitcoin as collateral, or you can do Ethereum as collateral and actually get, you know, a loan out, right? And this loan is 0% interest, no liquidations whatsoever, and no expiry, which is a tr truly transformative or novel concept uh, of how you can actually structure a loan. It's very uh, different than done here. So we've expanded to all sorts of other DeFi kind of focused uh, uh, concepts to, ex to say that we can build DeFi in a way that is chain agnostic. That is asset agnostic. We can build DeFi in a way. We can give the same access that Ethereum people have had for years now around the power, the flexibility you can do with Ethereum and the other assets on that chain. Now you can do that same kind of stuff with assets that are have long time been isolated, like Doge, like Bitcoin, like Litecoin, like whatever else. And so to do that, to, to, to apply DeFi to the entire crypto space, not just to specific EVMs, is a quite important and transformational technology for the industry. Does Thorchain have a roadmap? Like, what's next for the project? What are you working on, Chad, as, as one of the bigger um, code contributors to the project? What, what's next? Uh, so we've 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 exploded over the last uh, few months. So we went from like the twelfth or eleventh largest dex to now with a third. We just surpassed Curve, right, in terms of trade volume. So we've had this huge explosion over the last few months, which has been awesome. But it's also kind of stretched the system in a lot of ways. Our bots kind of got stretched in themselves. So we've been making a lot of changes to just to improve the efficiency and, and performance of the network. Uh, but once we kind of fixed a few things we wanted to get, get done, which we'll probably get done in the next few weeks, uh, it's going move, moving back towards a, a feature where we can only trade with ThorChain from any wallet in the world. Arbitrarily, any wallet in the world could actually trade or swap with ThorChain, which would be really valuable. And the other thing I'm actually hyper excite, uh, excited about is order books and limit orders. Being able to expand this network, not just to like swappers, but to traders, to people who actually want to uh, to expand to an entire new marketplace, right? And the other thing that's really fascinating about limit orders on Thorchain is that because you ARBs can ARB proactively rather than reactively, you that streaming swap we were talking that happens over time, that streaming swap can happen in a single block with the same price execution as if it happened over time because the ARB bops can ARB within the block and swap back and forth between each other to get that speed of a single like regular swap like you see on Uniswap, but the fantastic price execution of a streaming swap, like the best of both worlds put together. I'm really excited about that. And then if you are looking to uh, get talent or new community members or looking for contributions in the space, who, what kind of people are you looking to uh, reach out to here at, uh, after this podcast? Well, one of the things we're constantly doing is looking to expand into like integration partners, right? So we've been connecting with a lot of different worlds. Uh, we've been talking to to Ledger. We've been talking, uh, they, they got integrated. MetaMask is now integrated thanks to Shapeshift's work. Uh, Trust Wallet's integrated, all these kind of things. And so we have lots of wallets we're talking to right now to kind of further expand our integrations with more things. It's kind of uh, non-surprising, but a lot of wallets want to be able to trade between Bitcoin and Ethereum in a trustless manner. That's okay. Not, not all that surprising, but they're really into it for some reason, right? And so we've been talking to a lot of different wallets who are really interested in that. So if you know a wallet, 
that would like to do that or a UI or even better, if you've got a DEX, we've already integrated with Trader Joe and, and a bunch of different DEXs from other environments. We can cross chain, do ch daisy chain multiple DEXs together to give you any asset to any asset in a single transaction, which is absolutely fantastic and fascinating. So if you are a DEX and you want to integrate and you like have Bitcoin trading on your DEX, even if it's on AVAX or, or Ethereum or whatever it is, come talk to us. We can help you out. Yeah, so important point. So like uh, in Uniswap, obviously, um, biggest decks in the world and you can't buy Bitcoin, right? This mm -hmm. is a problem. Um, Uniswap folks, hopefully you're hearing this. I know you've been approached about this before, but it would not be too hard to allow someone through the Uniswap interface to trade, you know, USDC on ETH into Bitcoin. And what would happen in the background is that the trade is going into the USDC whatever pool on Uniswap and then trading probably the most liquid asset like ETH for Bitcoin uh, in Thorchain in the background. And then Bitcoin is what gets spit out the other end. Yep. Um, obviously, Uniswap should do that, right? Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't be too much work and could be done with a really good UX for their users. Yep. Well, Chad, Eric, this has been a fantastic exploration into Thorchain. So thank you for helping navigate me and the Bankless Nation through this uh, pretty cool project. Uh, Chad, if there are people that just want to get learn more, for example, where, where should they go? Where Where is the canonical like Thorchain website or Twitter account or wherever you want to point people? Yeah, uh, so the Thorchain website is thorchain.org, uh, at Thorchain on Twitter. We got Discord, jump on the Discord, ask questions. You know, if you if you want to learn more about this project, it's, it's quite fascinating and, and quite important. So I encourage everybody just to learn. So don't buy Don't bother buying the token. I don't really care. Just do your own research. Learn about it. The more you read about it, then the more you're going to love it. I promise. Eric, you handed me some uh, material that we'll put into the uh, show notes at the end of this, an introduction to Thorchain for Bitcoiners that you wrote, as well as a few other articles. Or any other things you want to bring up to attention before we wrap up the show here, Eric? Um, no, I, I, I would just echo the point of like, try this out, right? Like everyone should, everyone in crypto should try a, ETH to Bitcoin transaction through Thorchain, like as part of your learning of how to use these systems. Um, and so, you know, spend an hour, learn how to do that. And uh, you'll understand why those of us who have learned about this are so excited. Well, Eric, Chad, thank you so much for, for coming on to the uh, Bankless podcast and exploring Thorchain. I appreciate it. Bankless Nation, you guys know the deal. Crypto is risky. All things are risky. New things are always risky. Smart contracts are risky. DeFi is risky. But this is the future that we are all signing up for. So we are glad you are with us on the Bankless journey. Thanks a lot.